So um, as you're turning there, uh, last week Grady explained to us what uh, Paul meant about the armor of God. And if you weren't there, um, Grady basically showed us that the armor of God is not our own efforts, but it's Christ and what he has done for us and what he's given us. So we put on that armor of Christ by standing firm in him and remembering what he has done for us. And now we pick up in verse 18 where we see Paul follow up his command to put on the spiritual armor by showing the Ephesians that they need the love of Christ to empower them to desire Christ. So if you're a Christian, you know this is an all-too-common experience to feel that your desire for Christ has gone cold. And you've now been overrun with sin and temptation. So where do you go from there? When you don't desire Christ, you hear this truth about him, but you don't desire him. Where, where do you go? And I think in this passage we see an answer. We'll see how the love of Christ is greater than any power of the enemy and that he offers us prayer in his spirit as a means to remind us of his love. So let's start reading. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, to remember um, Paul's entire train of thought here. And after I read, will you pray with me? Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the, the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you this morning that we can do nothing apart from your Son, Jesus. Help us remember his love today. We need the power of your Spirit to restore our desire for him our desire to live for him. So please give us this grace this morning. Amen. What do you think it would be like to try to live in the middle of the New England wilderness in the middle of winter in the 1740s? Nothing but a lean-to shack, no electricity, no heat, cold, mushed cornmeal to eat, and nothing to keep you company except a Bible and a journal. What would that be like? Well, a young man named David Brainerd experienced that exact same situation. I want to ask you, would that situation challenge you 
to desert your desire for Christ. In the middle of such horrible conditions, would you despair of Christ and would your desire for him fade? David Brainerd wrestled with this because not only was he in this situation, but he suffered with tuberculosis for the last 10 years of his life and died before he was 30. And listen to what he wrote here in his journal. In the middle of the wilderness, trying to minister to Indians as a missionary, listen to what he writes one day when he is so overrun with depression for how his desire for Christ has left him completely. I was so overwhelmed with dejection that I knew not how to live. I longed for death exceedingly. My soul was sunk into deep waters, and the floods were ready to drown me. I was so much depressed that my soul was in a kind of horror. I could not keep my thought fixed in prayer for the space of one minute without fluttering and distraction. And I was exceedingly ashamed that I did not live for God. I was so overcome with discouragement that I despaired of doing any good, and I was driven to my wit's end. I knew nothing of what to say, nor what course to take. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever lost so much of your desire for Christ that you don't even know what to do next? I know probably all Christians have felt that at one time, and if you're in that situation this morning, there is hope in this passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible gives us the answer for when we feel this way, and what we are to depend on. And it shows us that the problems in these moments is not that Christ does not love us enough. It's not that his armor that Grady expounded for us last week is not strong enough. But it's that our desire for Christ is gone. So how does that change? Paul gives us this biblical solution in Ephesians 6. The solution is that God gives us the blessing of commanding us to fall on our knees in desperation for the Spirit's power to fill us with the love of Christ. That is what, what, what I want each of us to remember this morning, that God gives us this gracious truth and command that we must always pray in the Spirit because we always need to be filled with Christ's empowering love. We always need to be filled with his love. And to impact exactly what this means, let's first look at this passage and ask the question, why must we pray always? Okay, we, yet we know that we don't always desire Christ, but what exactly does Paul mean here? Why does he follow up this section on the armor of God with this command to pray at all times in the Spirit? He's just told the Ephesians that they're to put on the armor of God. He's told them what Christ has done and how he can help them. And what's so, it's so simple. What more is there to do, right? You remember what Christ has done and boom, you're equipped and you are armed and ready to go. So why are the Ephesians struggling so much to do this? Well, before we may unjustly criticize the Ephesians, let's think about the world they were living in here. They were probably majority, if not all of them, converted out of a complete, total pagan background of worshiping false idols and worship that involves sexual immorality, ridiculously crazy and evil magical practices and immorality that involved was involved in this worship. And they have been saved out of this world, but they're still living in a city that is rampant with sin. This is a city that, to put it blankly, loves their sin and they don't want the gospel coming in and ruining it. And here you are in the midst of it, living amongst it as a Christian. 
And who was behind all that evil, all the worship of false gods and false idols? Who was behind that? It was Satan himself, right? We saw last week, what was it Grady told us that Paul said in Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil? The Ephesians had been made alive in Christ, friends, but they still lived in a world that was empowered by Satan himself. So you do not think it would be easy for the Ephesians to start looking around and just start thinking that, man, maybe I deserve just to go back to a little bit of the sin. You know, maybe this Christ and gospel stuff wasn't as serious as I thought it was when I first believed. And everybody around me is not believing it. And they seem to be having a pretty good life. At least they're not having as hard a time as I am trying to resist all the stuff they're desiring and they're enjoying. And in this way, friends, we may be just beginning to see how we are more like the Ephesians than we may like to admit. While we may be tempted to think that the Ephesians were saved more radically than we were, or there was more sin that they needed to be forgiven of than us, we need to remember that the same enemy that animated their world, he animates ours too. And what you have been saved out of is the same evil and the same sin that the Ephesians have been saved out of. The same enemy behind the false god in Ephesus is the same enemy that is behind all of the false gods of American culture. Of success in work, in family, in money, in sex, in entertainment, in selfishness, in laziness. Satan is behind all of those things. And while Christ may have saved you out of a life of desiring those things... We would be lying if we said we were never tempted to want to go back to them. You begin to think about how you really do deserve a better job than you have now. And what, man, what could I do if I had that money that came with that job? You begin to start browsing some images that you wouldn't want others to know you look at because you start to wonder, you know, I'm really not being satisfied physically like I deserve. You start to think how easy a life with family and friends would be nice and quiet. And you really don't want to stir that up by getting getting too serious about all this Jesus and gospel stuff. When you start considering those thoughts and desiring those things, what happens to our desire for Christ? It all but disappears. This is why Paul tells us that to know about the armor of God, and even know how to put it on is not enough. Because to even do something, you've got to want to do it in the first place, right? That is our problem. And this is why Paul tells us we must pray at all times in the Spirit, because we do not always desire Christ, and we need our desire for Him restored. And because I want to make sure you know what I'm saying. When I say Christ's love, that we need the love of Christ to restore us, I'm using that phrase the same way Paul used it in Ephesians 3. When Paul said that the love of Christ would fill our hearts and we'd know the height and length and breadth and width of his love, that's what I'm talking about. The love of Christ is all that makes him beautiful. Everything about him and everything he's done for us, that's what we need. And friends, if we have trusted in Christ, we have experienced that. He is the one that is better than anything else. That he has died for our, sin, for our sins and we have embraced him as our savior from our sins and we're left our old life and repented of our sins and gone to him as our Lord 
And we know that that's who we need. But friend, if you're in this church today and you have never heard those words I just used, or you're not even sure you have experienced that Christ is better than everything else, then there is not a better place for you to be because you are surrounded by people that have been changed by him. And you need to know that you have sinned against God by not honoring him and loving him as you should, and that you are lost in your sins, but Christ offers out to you salvation because he has died to take the punishment for the sin that you deserve to take. And if you trust in him as a savior from your sin and leave your sin behind and embrace him as Lord, you will experience a love and a joy that no human being will ever be able to fully explain. Friends, that's what's happened to us that have trusted in Christ. That's why we need our desires for him restored. We, we know that in God's wisdom and timing, that the relationship he saved us into, it will not be fully consummated until he comes back. And until then, we're still going to stray from the Lord and we need our desire for him restored every day. That's why we must pray in the spirit because we need the Holy Spirit to awaken our desire for Christ in us. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Paul models for us this prayer in the Spirit by praying for the Ephesians in these verses. Listen to this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you notice how he prays for the Holy Spirit to strengthen these believers by reminding them of Christ's love? He knew they would not always desire him and what they needed was to be filled and reminded of how great Christ's love was. This is modeled in multiple places throughout the Bible, friends, but one story you may be familiar with where we see this kind of prayer is when David sinned with Bathsheba. You're probably, many of you are familiar with that story. God had already graciously anointed David king, and he had made a covenant with him where God promised him a kingdom that would never end, and we later see that from David would come the line of Christ. So how much more could David have desired to have? He had the most amazing relationship with God. God had given him his Holy Spirit. What more could he want? But we see him start to slip when he stays home while his soldiers go out and fight in battle. And when he's at home one day enjoying all the pleasures of his kingdom, he goes out onto his roof and his wondering heart finally finds something his wondering eyes desire. A young woman on her roof bathing, that's all it takes. David sets his eyes on it, he desires it, he wants this, he takes the woman, sleeps with her, and then thinks he's kept it secret. Till we see Bathsheba is pregnant, and not only that, David tries to fix it by getting her husband to come back so it can seem like this was just a normal thing and then, oh, that doesn't work. So now I've got to go send her husband into battle on the front line so he can die. He does. David takes her as his wife and boom, he thinks he's done it again. I've covered it up. But then 
God who knew all along sends a prophet and tells David what he's done. And what does David do? When David has come face to face, when his heart has been ripped open and laid bare that he had not been desiring the Lord at all, what does he do? He prays. He prays in Psalm 51. Listen to this prayer of a man that has been brought to his knees realizing that his desire for Christ is gone and he needs the desire for the Lord restored. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, God, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide me from your sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is exactly what God is requiring of us, friends. When our sin and our desire has grown cold, no matter how horrible our sin may feel or how guilty we may feel, Christ longs for us to return to him in prayer because it is in prayer that the Holy Spirit then fills us and reminds us of his love. We must pray to be filled with this love, friends, because if Christ has saved us, we know he is sweeter than anything else. And can we ever fully grasp how great this love is, friends? I know it may seem monotonous or mundane just throwing these phrases around, but friends, we need to be, we need to be reminded. Listen to what Hebrews 7.25 says. If you're struggling to feel the richness of this this morning, please read this with me. This is talking about Christ. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Feel the beauty of this, friends, that Christ, the God of this universe, that we had sinned against, is able to save to the uttermost even the worst of sinners if we simply draw near to God through Him. No matter how you have sinned against him or how cold your heart is for him, he loves to forgive you. Do you see that? He longs and lives to make intercession for you. How can it be that Christ, who we have sinned against, he wants us to come to him? Friends, this is so beautiful that even though we have sinned against him, it is his joy to love you and to fill you with his love so you'll desire him again. This is why Christ's love is the power behind us standing firm in him. Because there's nothing greater and more powerful than fully comprehending just how much Christ loves us. So friends, how do we pray in the spirit? You see Paul say there in verse 18, how exactly do we do this? What does it look like? 
When Paul says that we are to pray in the Spirit, he is not giving us some kind of special type of prayer to pursue. He is simply reminding us that as Christians, we've been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not our goodness or our works that saved us. It was the power of God. So now our life is found in Christ and we can do nothing apart from him. So if we're going to pray, we have to pray in the Spirit. It was Christ that himself said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what Jesus says when, he, when he's leaving the earth. He says that the Holy Spirit would take what is his and bring it to us. So it's by the Holy Spirit that Christ is filled into our hearts. That's why Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit. So to pray in the Spirit, friends, it simply means that you fall in dependence at Jesus' feet and say, I can do nothing without you. When we pray in the Spirit, we simply confess that the power of our prayer is not in our words, it's not in the length of our prayer, and it's not even in our spiritual maturity. The power of our prayer is in Christ himself. God does not command us to pray in the Spirit to give us a certain mystical kind of prayer or demand us to feel a certain level of ecstatic spiritual experience. He gives us the command to pray in the Spirit to simply remind us that without Christ, we can do nothing. Then notice, he also says we pray in the Spirit at all times. In verse 18, as we already said, as Christians, we're at all times independent on the Spirit to live for Christ. So we must pray in dependence on the Spirit at all times. Then he says, pray with all prayer and supplication. Basically a way for Paul to summarize all kinds of prayers. When we pray, we don't only give requests to God to ask him for things we need or want. We also pray simply to praise him, to worship him, to confess sin. He's saying here, pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayers. And then he tells us in verse 18 that to pray in the spirit of all times, we have to keep alert with all perseverance. That's the same phrase that Jesus uses in Luke 21 when he's warning his disciples of staying awake to watch against temptation, he says on the screen here, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And then he ends in verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So Christ tells us to keep alert because there is an enemy that is constantly attacking us to take away our desire for Christ. So we need to be alert at all times to pray that our desire for Christ is constantly being restored. Recently I had something happen to me that made me think about later how it relates to this topic of praying in the Spirit to God. And it it may be just me, but does anyone else really hate having to call the customer service number when something you know goes wrong is is there more is there more of a pain than having to get that look up that number and wait on hold and wait for someone to help you because you know there's some issue you ordered something it's broke or whatever well a couple of months ago i had one of these experiences with our pest control company and without any warning and without having any pets or anything like that we all of a sudden had fleas in our house and uh, it was annoying, couldn't get it fixed, could not get rid of them. So we have to call them and say, hey, we need somebody to come take care of this. They come once, they come twice, it's still not fixed. They're still coming back. 
So I called a third time, and this third time they came out, they really messed up. They didn't come because they messed the schedule. I had to wait a couple more days and reschedule. And then the time they were supposed to come back to be rescheduled from, they got mixed up on their end. And so you can imagine me waiting for them to get their act together so they can come help us because they haven't been able to figure it out yet. So you can imagine me waiting on the line, waiting for this person to pick up. And it did not matter who that person was, what their name was, how their day was going, what they wanted, what they liked and disliked. It did not matter because all that I knew is that when they got on the phone, I was going to let them know what my grievances were, what their problem was, and that they needed to get someone over to fix it now. And as funny as that story is, friends, I started to wonder, is that the way we treat prayer to God? Do we treat God like our own personal customer service rep that we call only when there's a problem to report and we request a fix? I'm not saying we don't need to take our problems to the Lord. Obviously, we do. He cares about our problems. But I'm saying if that's how we view prayer to God that it doesn't matter what he's really like and what he really desires for us. And all that matters to us is that we just get that call out to let him know what's wrong so he can fix it pronto. Then, friends, if that's what our prayer life looks like, then we need to be reminded, friends, that that's not the kind of relationship Christ died for us to have. Jesus did not die to simply be our customer service rep and make our experience on earth as smooth as possible. He died to be our husband that died for our sin and longs for us to come and experience his love forever in heaven with him. That's why he died. He died to bring you to himself and fill you with the infinite joy of belonging to him forever. That's us, the church, friends. We are his bride that he gave his blood to save. The fullness of God and his perfect love is offered to us in this relationship. He lives and loves to be our Savior and our Lord. If we truly grasp this love, then we would see that prayer is not an occasional customer service call to air grievances, but it is an invitation to step into the fullness of the love and joy of knowing Christ is your Lord. That's why God commands us to pray in the Spirit at all times, with all types of prayers, and with all alertness and perseverance. He desires for us to pray in dependence on the Holy Spirit so we will remember Christ's love and our desire for Him will be restored. Both when we have specific problems that we need to bring to Him and just when we need to confess to Him that, Lord, I cannot breathe without You. Because, friends, our desire for Christ, it does not fluctuate based upon how hard or easy or bad or good our day is going. We always need Him. To be a Christian is to need the Holy Spirit like a fish needs water. So in light of this, friends, we must see that our prayer life, it is in direct connection to our spiritual maturity and our relationship with Christ. If we have truly seen that prayer is what Paul says it is, that in prayer we are filled with Christ's love and empowered to live for him, that it is 100% true what one pastor once said. Listen to this. That our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. Our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. 
In other words, the true measure of our maturity in Christ is how desperately we pray to him. Or to say it another, even another way, our relationship with Christ, it will only go as deep as our prayer life goes because it is in prayer that we are reminded just how great his love is for us and that our desire for him is restored. So what about us, friends? Have we, have we grasped our own sinfulness and our need for Christ to the point that we see praying as necessary as breathing? We must remember, friends, that our greatest need and joy is to be in intimate relationship with Christ. And he lovingly offers all the blessings of that to us in praying to him in dependence on the Holy Spirit. But also notice in verse 18 that Paul does not tell us that Christ longs for us to pray to him for ourselves only. But look at the end of verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints... So who are we to pray for? Not only for ourselves, but we must keep alert and pray at all times in the Spirit because we have a responsibility to pray for other believers. Some of you may have heard what's called the priesthood of all believers, just a fancy word that we use to describe the fact that as Christians, we don't need a priest to go to to pray for us to God or to give us access to God. It's a beautiful truth. And so if you look on our statement of faith or any Protestant churches in the world statement of faith, you're good, probably going to see a statement about the priesthood of all believers. And when we think about that truth, friends, I'm afraid we've forgotten something. That we are a priest, yes, God has made us a priest, so we don't have to go to a priest to pray to him. But he does not make us priest of Christ simply for our own sake. He makes us priest for each other. This doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, it's not only for ourselves, but it shows us the same thing that 1 Peter 2.9 says. Here it is on the screen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have been blessed with God to the ability, with the ability to go to him openly and freely in relationship with him, not only for the joy of knowing he has saved you, but for the joy of knowing that you are a priest for the fellow believers around you. So as the body of Christ, as Gateway Baptist Church, we do not only keep alert and pray in the Spirit at all times for our own soul's sake, but we keep alert because we care about the souls around us. And we know they are experiencing the same temptation and the same weakness as us. They need to be reminded of the love of Christ. So we long to pray for them so they will remember Christ's love and their desire for him will be restored. And just think about how this is so true when we experience this in our own lives, friends. When you are in the lowest spiritual place you may have ever been in, and your day has simply been filled with reminders that you don't love Christ as you should, and there's a sin you can't beat. You're struggling with all the overwhelming issues that are being thrown at you. Family, job, work, school, whatever. And you get into bed to think, and I don't know what I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning. I am not feeling anything. But before you fall asleep, Your phone goes off and you see a text from a member of the church that says, 
just want to let you know I'm praying that Christ's love will fill you tonight. There's a reason that comforts us so much, friends, because that's how God has designed it. And praise the Lord, I see this in Gateway so much. I see people praying for each other and asking how they can pray. And even for me personally, I'm so blessed by people telling me they're praying for me. But friends, we need to remember that Christ has saved us, not only to experience the love and joy of being saved by Him, but that love and that joy, we experience the fullness of it when we see the blessing of being used by Him to pray for others so they will know that love and that joy. So in light of this, friends, have have you thought about sacrificing time to make sure you are praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we look for opportunities to pray for others when we're not with them and when we're with them? When they say they need prayer, we can pray for them right then and when we go home. We don't have to make the mistake that I do 90% of the time when someone asks for prayer and I say I will and I forget. I can pray for them right then because that's what they need. They need to be filled with the love of Christ. And friends, I... This this prayer, this love, this blessing of relationship with Christ, Paul again doesn't stop there. Just like he knows our desire for Christ fades and gets cold and needs to be restored, he knows that our desire for each other it can fade too. So what, is he, what does he give us as the solution? I believe we'll see this if we look back at Ephesians 6 and see Paul's concluding words here. Paul has shown us that why we pray, he's shown us how we pray, who we pray for, but we see him concluding in this passage by showing us the mission of all this praying. And he does it by requesting prayer for himself. The man that's writing the scripture to us requests prayer for himself. Notice what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And this is so crazy because don't miss the situation Paul's in. Look what he says in verse 20. He is in prison wearing literal chains. And please notice, he doesn't ask them to pray for immediate release, nor does he ask them to pray for physical comfort to be taken away, to help him take away this pain, nor does he pray for him to simply be able to make it through the day. Instead, he prays that in his suffering, he would be strengthened in Christ by knowing the love of Christ so he can then do what? Preach the gospel boldly. So Paul knows that there is a mission that he has been given. He knows he's been saved by Christ, and he is now, as he says it, an ambassador of Christ, a representative for Christ on earth and his kingdom, that Christ has given him the mission of proclaiming his gospel. In Paul's, this example, friends, we can then reflect back on ourselves and see that if we have been saved by Christ, we have the same mission, and that means that our prayers... They have a mission. The mission, it flows out of 
the purpose of our prayer. The purpose of our prayer is for us to be filled with Christ's love, right? And be brought back into more intimate relationship with Him. But the mission that flows out of that is for us to then joyfully and lovingly proclaim the gospel. That's the mission of our prayers. And it's not that praying with this mission in mind somehow minimizes the love of Christ or dampens our joy. Instead, Jesus longs for us to see that In understanding and grasping this mission, we're then able to be filled with the fullness of His love. We'll be filled with the fullness of Christ's love and desire for Him most fully when we grasp that knowing Christ's love is not opposed to the mission of going out and telling others about Him. Instead, those two things are the same. That when we are filled with the fullness of Christ's love, we overflow with a desire to make him known. In thinking about this mission of our prayers, I, I wonder about another situation you may have been in. When you're praying in a group, you uh, get together to read the Bible or um, go, go to a book study together, whatever it is. And at the end, you, you know, somebody asks for a prayer request, you take the prayer request. And then somebody volunteers to pray. And what, you know, let's think about this uh, hypothetical prayer group. And the, the usual requests come up. You know, most people are saying, uh, pray for me, works really hard. Um, pray for me, my car's having trouble, I've got to buy a new car. Pray for me, school is just really slamming me this year, it's hard. Or pray for me, for uh, so-and-so, that they're not feeling well. Does that sound familiar sometimes? So someone volunteers to pray, they pray for those situations, then you disperse and go home. Now my purpose, getting you to imagine this story, it's not to guilt trip you for praying for things that you're going through. We've already said we need to do that because without Christ we can do nothing. That's not my purpose. My purpose in this is to show you that a prayer group like this is spiritually sick. And why is it spiritually sick? Because if we fail to see the connection between our prayers and Christ's mission for us, we rob ourselves of knowing the fullness of Christ's love for us. It's possible that we can become so inwardly focused and concerned with our own struggles that we totally miss out on the depth and width of God's love. We forget the joy of knowing the love of Christ is not only so that we can personally experience being saved, but that we can experience the love of being used by the God that has saved us. That's what's wrong with the prayer group we just imagined. That's why they are spiritually sick and may not even know it. Because there's no mention or thought given to the mission of all the struggles and all the prayer. Yes, they should pray for those things. For the car trouble, for the hard job, for the exam, for the sickness. And especially if we have this crippling suffering of death or betrayal or cancer. Good grief, we bring those things to the Lord. We need Him. But what's the mission of bringing those things to the Lord? We don't pray for those things simply to make it through the day. When Christ gave his great commission, he did not say, pray for each other so that you can make it through the day. He said, make disciples. So when we pray, that is the mission we have. Whatever the situation, sickness, family dynamics that are hard and struggling, financial struggles, God cares about those. So many of you are in 
horrible situations of suffering now. I'm not making light of your situation. I'm trying to show you how Christ answers you in your situation. And he does that by giving you all you need. And friends, what you need is to be reminded of the fullness of his love that then overflows into a desire to tell others about that love. It may be that in the hardships of of being a, a mom, you're filled with the love of Christ when he answers you in prayer, and then you can then remind another mom that's struggling that Christ, he is our strength, and he is all you need. It may be in the frustrations of the most terrible job you can imagine that Christ fills you with his love so you can serve with joy, even through the hardships, for his glory, and then you are prepared and ready to witness to the God that gives you that strength. It may be that in the hardships of cancer, Christ fills you with his love so much that you can go through the pain with joy and tell others that Jesus is your strength despite the pain. Whatever the situation, the power to endure the suffering comes from Christ. And he longs to meet us in those situations and love us and give us his love so that then we have the increasing love and joy of knowing that he longs to use us by letting that joy overflow into telling others about that love. So whatever the situation we're in, friends, we look to Christ. We pray for the Spirit to remind us of his love for us and restore our desire us. And when we do that, our desire is restored by his grace. We slowly overflow into desiring to be used by him to proclaim his gospel to others. If you remember the story and quote I mentioned from David Brainerd at the start of the sermon, how he suffered from tuberculosis while trying to survive in the woods, being a missionary to the Native Americans and the midst of the terrible depression and lack of desire for Christ, I want to read you a quote that comes after that journal entry when he speaks about how Christ helped him in the midst of his suffering by reminding him of his love and restoring his desire for him. So remember how depressed and lost he felt then and then listen to this. In the evening I was refreshed And I was enabled to pray and praise God with composure and affection. I had some enlargement and courage with respect to my work. I was willing to live and long to do more for God than my weak state of body would allow me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by his grace, I'm willing to spend and be spent in his service. By his grace, willing to spend and be spent for his service. Christ loves us, friends. And even when we do not desire and love him, he still loves us and loves to forgive us. So even if your desire for him may be cold, Christ wants to receive you back to him with even your weakest and most spiritually dead prayers. As long as we come to him in dependence on the Holy Spirit, he will answer us by filling us with his love and restoring our desire for him and making us willing to love him and be used by him to proclaim his gospel. 
because we always need to be filled with his love, friends, we always must pray in the Spirit. Let's pray. Christ, we confess that your love is constant and ours is not, Lord. So meet us in this moment, Lord. Show us the truth of what we've just saw, that you long to meet us when our desire for you is cold. You long to restore our desire by filling us with your love, Lord. Help us see just how glorious and beautiful you are, Lord. How you have died to save us and cleanse us of our sin, and you long for us to know you more and to use us to speak your gospel to others. In Christ's name, amen.